So now I know who makes the best snickerdoodle cookies on the beach. <laughs> that it, would be me. That would be Julie Tyler. That's that her pride and joy. My pride and joy is a chili. And thank you for coming and enjoying today. Um, yeah, so basically we'll start with the intro on Julie Tyler and how I came to learn about you. So I have a good buddy, Kev, um, from uh, Coach Kev on Instagram. And he's a very... Uh, He's a social butterfly, very connected everywhere. And naturally, we met at one of the run clubs in South Beach. And we were playing golf together at the driving range. And, you know, I was asking around who some of the cool women are who uh, will be candidates for the podcast. And uh, you mentioned Julie. And so uh, I was able to check out, you know, Julie's kind of value her Instagram and her, I, that's, I, I really don't know too much because uh, I love using this hour here to really get to know someone. Um, and so, yeah, Julie, um, thanks for coming. What's your story? <laughs> that's one of the most, that's a tough one. I don't ask that every time, but what's your story? Um, thank you, Simeon, for having me on. I'm, I'm uh, definitely honored to um, get to talk a little bit about what I do and um, so I am a writer and a writing coach. I've been a storyteller my whole life, and um, I went so far as to declare English as my major as uh, a college student. I got a master's degree in literature and then a PhD in literature as well. I taught for 10 years um, at the college and university level, <clears throat> and then three years ago I started my own company to um, help writers who don't necessarily want to enroll in a graduate program or like go back to school or something like that, move across the country to attend some university. But they would like to have access to really good instruction. They want to learn what telling a story is all about. And so um, I work with adults who are ready to do that. And um, it's been a really rewarding, it's been a really rewarding journey to start a company and get to be a part of people's creative journey and also be on my own creative journey. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it's honestly a growing space, right? Where, you know, Amazon, for better or worse, has made book selling kind of a, um, such a, it's such an easier thing nowadays. It used to be you had to, you know, get you had to get like bought by an, like a good publisher, editor, and it was like, there was certain critics who were deciding what books were gonna be published or what was good enough. But now with Amazon and, and even just like the internet, it's like, boom, like you have a book, you can put it out there, people can buy it, and then that's digital, right? But then also the printing of books, I think it's gotten a bit easier as well, uh, or more outsourceable. So basically, I think everyone should write their own book, because what I mean by book, I'm maybe talking a little bit differently than the authors Julie works with, but I think everyone should work on their own memoir um, once they reach, you know, maybe around 28, 30 years old, when they have a life, they've, when they've developed their personality to an extent, I think it's great to set a time in your week for a reflection about your life, to look back. So for me, example, every Monday after I do my yoga, I do, I do like a half hour, before I go volunteer, I do a half hour of like, um, I, I basically set that time and say, no matter what, I'm going to put something on the page. And I basically, I started from the beginning of what I remember in my life. And I basically put a comedic twist on it if I can. But I basically really, really stretch the memory muscle, which I don't, I, I don't always use it very, very much. But uh, I like to have that time in my week to use my memory muscle and kind of look back at my life. And 
appreciate, you know, who I've become and understand why I've become who I've become. But that that action alone of doing that, that habit, it's not so someone can buy my book. It's more just like the cathartic effect of it. Um, but that, that's what I mean. I think there's room for a lot more people to become writers who maybe don't see themselves as writers or ha have that potential. I think everyone has the potential to write a memoir. Um, so Julie, have you ever written a memoir or started that kind of process? Well, I think um, one thing you said, you have a regular practice of sitting down and going back through some memories and this is a thing that you have on your calendar and it's a part of your routine. I think that that is, I think journaling is something that people need to be doing for sure. Everybody needs to be doing it regardless of their writing intentions or their writing goals. Um, but to answer your question about have I written a memoir, um, I love the memoir as a genre, like a book that is um, 300 pages of a continuous story exploring the life of the author, like a segment of the author's life. I like that as a genre. I don't want to write that for myself. I definitely journal. I, you know, I, I definitely explore memories and feelings and, you know, what I've got going on and my goals. But um, to write a memoir and have it as a publishable book, that's that's not a, gen a genre that I'm interested in in writing. Right. I'm not. I guess I'm just saying it's one of the most cathartic healing acts. That's just like a great thing to do every week. Yeah. Um, versus trying. I mean, you're very more focused on helping people achieve certain goals with, right. with, with what they're selling and, and having it have value. I think the intrinsic value of a memoir is great, and that's what I'm selling. But I think. Let's let's explore more about you know the value you bring to, to your clients and let's start from the top. So where were you actually born, Julian? I was born in uh, St. Joseph's Hospital in Augusta, Georgia, um, but I grew up in Thompson, which is about three uh, thirty minutes away um, from where I was actually born. Um, Remember the hospital that you're born? You say that every time. It's kind of rare, like. I, don't, I wouldn't be like, oh, I was born in this hospital. <laughs> I just remember it because I, I remember my parents telling me this is where you were born. And I think my mom, um, she also delivered my sisters there. And I'm, I remember that being a part of the story. I distinctly remember St. Joseph's Hospital. Okay, Augusta, Georgia, which is a nice coincidence because me, me and Kev were playing golf. where That's where the masters are, right? right? In Augusta. Okay, so you grew up there. And? Um... Yeah, it's pretty straightforward, you know, story for me, I suppose. I mean, I just... Well, no, I love to know why writing. I mean, everyone everyone that I interview has a passion for something, right? Yeah. And it usually starts in the childhood, right? So me, my childhood, we moved around a lot. We were always moving around. I was always a new kid and I was always in a new place. So I was always... I have kind of that urge to always travel. And, and also, because I was always traveling so much, I was also, you know spending a lot of time alone because I was like the new kid at school so I have I empathize a lot with the problem of loneliness um, in the world today and how the internet makes that even more difficult so that's my goal is to like solve loneliness for the world so you know your childhood probably speaks you know probably portrays some foreshadowing of why you know you've chosen to do what you do so maybe it's kind of is there anything in your childhood that you kind of think affected you know your desires to live the way you do um, well, I was always very creative, like I always had an idea that I wanted to execute in some way. So I would stage these little plays in my home and my parents would be, you know, the front row members of the audience. Um, I would get my sisters to be the cast members and, you know, just things like that. I was always doing something creative. I was always reading books. I was always writing things. 
Um, I was always a dancer, so I was very connected to the arts from the beginning. And um, not a lot of kids are, are as connected to the arts as I was. So I would say that was one difference that I noticed in myself, that if I wanted to be involved with the arts or pursue it to the extent that I was interested in, then that set me apart from some of my peers. And if I wanted to um, have friendships and you know be a part of a of a group or something like that I would I would really have to not talk about the arts as much I would have to talk about things that it seemed my peers wanted to talk about right like the latest show that was big on Nickelodeon yeah or like whatever you know musical artist had a new single out or something like that I think it distinct I have distinct memories of MC Hammer and um who is the two legit? No, no, no. Um, Ice Ice Baby. Who did? Vanilla Ice. Vanilla <laughs> Ice. I have distinct memories. I remember of, Vanilla Ice. Yeah. Like the kids would come to school and they'd be talking about these these people, and I'm like, okay, but I've been, you know, playing my Beethoven um, stuff on the piano. Like I took piano lessons and I had like cassette tapes yeah. of all this classical stuff, and I had no, I had no um, connection to what was popular. Right. And so I think that. I always saw myself as a little different. Yeah, that's good. Up. Honestly, those those are people who end up changing the world sometimes. You know, they had some interesting difficulty. My dad hated cable. He, he did not want to support us watching cable. <laughs> so that's where I fell a little out on some of the, the discussion around the shows and stuff that were happening. Um, and so that affected me and, and kind of made me a little more creative, which, you know, and yet, no pain, no gain. So sometimes the most difficult things in our childhood really do form us into who we are and, yeah. and why we add value to the world. So that's quite a great um, example of, of what we're talking about is like you creating plays. Like so, um, <laughs> so you played the little piano, but you obviously, you fell in love with reading. Do you know when you first started writing? Were you ever writing little mini plays or? You said you did, you wrote plays kind of, right? Um, I did write a little, so I don't write plays now. I don't, no. I don't write scripts now, but um, at the time when I was little, I definitely wrote um, plenty of stories in my journal. I remember um, being about five years old and my mom giving me a yellow journal. And uh, I could write a little bit, you know, from what I was learning in kindergarten. It wasn't a coherent story, but there was a narrative element to it. And um, it felt natural to just pick up a writing utensil and use words to express myself. Um, in fourth grade, I remember writing a little script for a play, and I made copies at my dad's office on the Xerox machine, and I distributed it to my cast. I like recruited my friends as the cast, and our teacher gave us permission to practice in the hallway while the other students had to do their work, and my cast and I, we got to be out in the hallway and like, you know, produce this play. And then when it was time, we came back into the classroom and it was like a whole day of, we didn't do any work whatsoever. Well, so your writing was a way to get out of school, basically. That's kind of... I didn't do it like that. I didn't, I wasn't trying to get out of my work. I just wanted to produce this play. And I had some willing people um, to participate and just one of the, you know, consequences was we didn't have to do our schoolwork. That's, I'm sure you were very popular for that. That was probably a big, a big, uh, big moment. So I remember my I wrote this book. I loved Harry Potter so much that I even like wrote my, my own book about like 
<laughs> magic sorcery and magic and like like fan fiction yeah it was it was fiction and then now that i look back it was kind of like a gory awful thing but my my parents and my my godmother was like a she worked in the publishing space and they were just like oh my god Simeon's going to be a writer like but then that was like since then i've i've i write very little actually i mean it's just like it was interesting that i i i loved fiction when i was a kid so that was now i just read so much psychology and and mark and just like you know i read about entrepreneurs and i read memoirs and i read like real focused like stuff related to my line of work or my passions or my the way i want to you know make a difference but it's such a it's the joy of it is a little different you know i take it a little slower but when i was a kid i remember one night reading harry potter under the covers my mom was like no you can't read anymore and i would literally like have a nightlight and go under my covers and read all night right and like that i don't know like where that where does that come from that joy of reading like is it how can we encourage more of that in our in the youth in in young people um well that's that's a really great question because i think i think humans naturally gravitate towards stories and most little kids outside of like the school system they love to pick up books and you know look at the pictures and they love to hear their parents reading a continuous narrative where you get to follow the character from the start of whatever the issue is all the way to the conclusion people love that but i do think that um organized educational systems and the curriculum uh, that is imposed on the classrooms and the teachers and then of course on the students. I think that it's it requires students uh, to read things that they're not really naturally interested mm. in because they have to take the test. They have to pass the test. They have to demonstrate reading comprehension and reading skills. And so the reading material isn't something um, in a lot of cases that that kids would go pick out for themselves. And what was really remarkable about Harry Potter is that it got a lot of reluctant readers reading again because the story is so gripping. The stakes are really high, the conflict is really clear, and the hero, Harry, is, um, is a character that a lot of kids can relate to in some way. And so it got a lot of people reading. A lot of kids who hated reading, they started reading Harry Potter. It was huge. It was huge. Yeah. He was a flawed character, right? He had a scar, and then, you know, he his parents were he died. It was just like... A lot of kids can empathize like wow like I have it better than him but then he's like such a you know special person like maybe I'm special like so yeah and then the amount of just the, like, the imagination of JK Rowling is just like she woke up in a whole generation of kids that love of reading and then I think she she honestly is one of the women who changed the world like with that with that series because like I was reading some other fiction stuff um what was that one with like the rafts? It was like uh, no, not moles. Um, <clears throat> it'll come back. Red, red something. Um, oh, Reddle or <laughs> Anyway, my memory is not very good. I, I don't know if it's that connected to reading, but um, I also loved reading. So what really had me loving reading? Oh, it's called Redwall. Redwall. It's like another whole series. Um, but what I really loved, what really got me reading, I think, um, is. Well, my parents were very supportive of it. You know, my room was stocked with books. Uh, I used to love reading the memoirs of saints. Or no, the, literally there's a series about saints. And it was like really well written where each of them, it was basically like a, a not, it was basically a biography of these saints. And like this, and, and, and it kind of related to Harry Potter for me, how magical some part of these saints' life was that they became a saint. 
And so I really, well, I was literally reading all these saint books, and like my parents were really Catholic, so they were like, they just like kind of promoted this for me. So like, <laughs> like, like they were like, no shame, like let's give them all these saint books. And I was just reading these saint books all the time, and I remember that phase, like wow, like I mean, like now I'm not super religious, but like that was, I just loved seeing reading the stories of special people, um, and I think that's why uh, I am who I am today. I, I love finding the special in everybody, um, but I also remember. I think you're totally right that when a curriculum is too strict, it, it, it makes it not fun. People don't, kids don't feel like it's their love. It's being forced on them. For example, instruments. Um, I don't think I was ever destined to be super musically gifted, but the, my parents kind of forced a little bit of, you know, guitar and piano on us. And the more it was forced, the less it was like fun for me. You know, it was just like, it was, it was, but I don't, I don't fault them for that. I think it was great that I got exposed to music. And now I have piano lessons that I take and I enjoy them, but um, I think it's good to expose kids to to requirements of things, but it's always great to give them a little leeway of their decision in things. So I think one great way to do that is when the schools have these games, these games about reading quizzes. Have you heard of these? So like no. basically in my school, we had this library and the library you could basically you read a book and then you would answer quizzes about it at the end, and if you if you if you got a good enough score on the quizzes, they would give you like prizes, and that that alone I remember in, I was in Corpus Christi, Texas, like that that just kind of like woke up in me. Um, it, it became a game. It was like right. what score can I get on this quiz? Right. So that I think is the key. I mean that already was happening like 20, 20 years ago. So I think it's it's happening places, but I think more of that. That gamification and that choice. So, I'm actually I volunteer. It's been it's been slow with the IT team, but there's this uh, United Way has this opportunity called Reading Pals, where you can literally tutor kids to read from Zoom. So you they basically have a platform where they pick a book, and then they start reading, and then you can like guide them through it and help them pronounce it and everything. Um, and so anyone can do so. Remote workers now can do this remotely. Yeah. They can say, oh, I have a half hour shift here. Let me put it in my calendar. Around 10 a.m., I'm with half hour of helping kids read, and this is like a new thing. That's like it, the system is new, and I think it's a wonderful thing where these kids will now have buddies around the world, around the country, helping guide them to love le- learning to read, right? But I think that's like the early stage. Is mm-hmm. like having kids learn to pronounce things, gain confidence in reading, love, which is very important, right, for them to even get to the next stage. But the first stage of proficiency in reading. Now with Zoom and remote, all these possibilities, we can all help tutor the kids from our, even our bed, we can be on Zoom because it's not video based. So I just might lay in bed and just like tutor the kid, you know what I mean? But it's okay. There's no video. It's like, it's just like, it's just like I'm tutoring the kid. Um, don't tell them I'm done. But anyway, so the next step, once they know how to read well, promote the love of reading. And so I think the gamification of that is, is really great. And so... That's where a whole other subset of softwares can help kids learn to read. But what happens when you learn to read, you learn to absorb information and, and you learn to process stuff faster, your brain. I mean, what else What else does reading affect uh, in someone? Yeah, I would say, you know, being able to, if we're talking about a book, like an adult size, 300 page book, this is a lot of information that is packaged in a certain way so that you can, like, get the point or to have the takeaway. So I think, I think reading encourages, um, not just the absorbing of information, but being able to have it structured in your mind. 
like this is the beginning, the middle, the end. This is the transformation of the character, or you know, th this is the final takeaway of all this information and um, new concepts that I've been exposed to. So I think I think that's an important part of it. Um, I think something that you, that you just said about the gamification of reading for kids. I think that's a that could be a way um, to encourage more of it when kids don't have the self-discipline that adults do because an, an adult can say you know what I don't like reading but I know that this is a good book I'm going to read it because it'll help me with my job like an adult has that uh, discipline but I think kids if they don't see the reward if they don't see reading in itself as a reward you have to have something external to incentivize it um, there used to be this program that my sister was in my younger sister was in um, I forgot the name of it, but it was something like that where you, you get your point. Accelerated Reader. Accelerated mm -hmm. Reader. And so you, you read all these books, you pass the little comprehension test, and you get all these points. And then at the end of the year, there's a some sort of a prize. So I think that there's plenty of that stuff. I think that's the one I was using. <laughs> I, don't know how old it, it, I don't know how old it is. But but it was it Accelerated Reader? It sounds familiar to me. Yeah. Um, those are great. I mean, that's... Yeah. But once you learn to read, then let's be real. Like, you know, as an adult... You know, you almost uh, you you develop a bit of amb not ambition, but you have a you have a, a special sword, you have a special skill where you can acquire information about a subject, and then it starts to really become something that you know drives your ambition. You know, to, to kind of learn more and and you know, I I used to read business books, and my dad was like very um, you know he was rising up in his company in management. He was an engineer, um, and you know he kind of influenced me becoming studying engineering at least, but he grew up and he went up in management and he was very driven to learn about business and um and so he was always reading the next business psychology book whatever mm -hmm. and so i i looked at his like drive to become ceo and, and rise up and i was like as a little kid i was like i want to i want to be ceo so i was like <laughs> so i started reading the same books as him and i would actually write notes on all these books um that's how serious i was about it i, I had the same passion for it as like i was reading harry potter because i was like everything i read is connected to my my goal of like making a difference in the world, doing something great. But I was taking notes on my phone. And the cool thing about that was like with the iPhone, like suddenly, I mean, I, the funny thing is I used to take notes of all my books, but then never look at them again. But the, the, the act of writing a note really like ingrained it in my brain. Like this is important. I mean, we, oh, know, yeah. we, we know that about note taking. Like right. even if you never look back in your notes, the fact that you're writing it down is telling your brain like, remember this like there's this, a this neural pathway like the physical um the neurons that control that physical movement are you know definitely definitely solidifying the memories that's yeah. for sure i don't think i'll ever go back and look at that i might i mean if honestly i probably won't I, i'm just like i'm I, for reading for me has become a bit slower it's something i use to go to bed to get really great sleep <laughs> i read I literally i i try and read like you know maybe friday saturday aside I try and read for like 45 minutes until I'm ready to go to bed. Um, I, re I used to be a, a read like a, a good reflections book or something in the morning person. Um, for some reason, I just, I don't know, I'm just on my phone now in the morning and then I, and then I meditate and reflect and journal. And, but, you know, reading for me is just like, is like the key to great sleep. And literally there's no better way than to have a nice, some nice tea read a book and go to bed like you can't really beat sleep they have those that's that sleep score thing like sleep what's your sleep number I, I get you know they can do studies on it but reading before bed is just like clutch and by the way everyone out there 
There's this awesome tea. Actually, I don't want people to buy it out. It's going to sell out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Someday. It's called Tazo. Uh, by Tazo. It's um, it's uh, lemon loaf. Glazed lemon loaf. And it's calorie-free, but it, it's literally... It's it's so freaking good that my whole family is addicted to it now when I share it with them. You can get on Amazon. Um, but anyway, a, a good favorite... I, I'm very routine, so I have a specific tea for my, for my book. <laughs> so every night I have that tea and I read... And it's just like, I, I smiled a bit, you know, it's because I feel like I learned something. And I, I also challenge myself to dream. I just like, I say, just dream, dream, dream. Like, I don't, I'm not, my imagination is not crazy developed, but I do like to like, it's good before you go to bed, just set a goal to like, dream, just dream. Dream about something, like something good, positive. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think the connection is between dreaming and imagination and, and, and nonfiction, the kind of work that you kind of focus on? So I don't focus all that much on nonfiction. No, you don't. I, I write fiction. No, I'm just saying fiction. I'm sorry. Dreaming, imagination, and fiction. Okay. Like, what's the connect there? You think? Okay. So, the imagination is the ability to think of possibilities beyond what's right in front of you. So you imagine different worlds that don't exist or that you know you're not presented with when you walk out the door. So I think um, definitely. Dreams are a way to work out problems or fears or anxieties and also to wish for things. There's a lot of wish fulfillment in dreams. And I think those two things, like you're you're imagining possibilities or you're imagining scenarios or looking at things in your goal setting or whatever it is that you want out of life, both of those things, imagining and dreaming, are ways to for your brain to get it in front of you and maybe get you moving in a particular direction. Um, But when we're talking about fiction, like this is a conscious effort to make a coherent vision of some other reality, whether it sort of resembles the real world or if it's more fantastical like Harry Potter or something like that. Um, So the the what connects them is that you're you're able to see something and your mind is able to accept something that it can't something that you're you can't actually touch right in front of you. You suspend your disbelief a little bit for the temporary time that you're reading and you go into a different understanding of reality. Well, you're creating images in your head instead of seeing them. So with that said, I mean, what is what is your favorite uh, fiction book? People ask me this and I swear that I'm going to have an answer one day. You change it. I mean, change I change it. it all the time. Right now, what is the last good one that you had? that you read the last good one um i read normal people by sally rooney um i read that about a year ago i've read you know stuff in between then but between now and then but that book really made an impression on me and um it's about relationships or it's about a relationship that never seems to get going and there's always some impediment to the two characters getting together or communicating clearly. And as an audience member, you're like, can these people just say, I like you, let's be together. Can they just say it? Yeah. But they don't. And it's, and it's infuriating. But it's also like that tension and that, um, like you can see the clear path for how these people can get together, but they keep messing it up. And I find that really fascinating. Um, but that, yeah, I liked that book a lot. Okay. Uh, and in that whole space, so... Um, what, when did you start, uh, so you were, you said you, were you ever a teacher, you said, or you just studied, you studied literature, 
And then what was your first job like out of school? Um, my first job out of college, I was a reporter um, for a newspaper. I did that for a year. Um, and then I started teaching SAT prep. Then I went back to grad school and I was teaching at the university. And then I went to grad school again and I was still teaching. So um, from grad school on, I that started a 10-year stint teaching at the university level until uh, 20... 16 is when I stopped teaching and I um, started writing full-time. So you started writing full-time. So did you have a first book that was a success or something? or? Um, so I wrote, f- uh, for four years, I worked for a social marketing company where I was the content writer for um, our products. So we, we created um, digital content and then print content, and I wrote all of it. Um, I do have a book that came out... Um, 2014. It's an academic book. And um, yeah, I still get royalties for that, but I don't promote it. I don't, I don't have that as my calling card because it's so different from what I work on now. And it's so different from what I teach other people to do that um, while it's useful and it's nice that I've done it, it's, it's not something that I bring into most of my conversations. Right. Well, as a coach, don't you, I mean, this is kind of like one of the conundrums of like life coaching or anything like that is, um, are, do you believe that you are so special that it's your life experience and your successes that people care about? Or are you realizing that you are, you are literally a skill set, a way of opening up people to possibilities, like that you're questioning and it's actually a skill set more than relying all on your life experience because then that can be very, you can get self-conscious a bit about, oh, am I ready to coach someone else because I haven't done, I haven't been a bestseller yet. Like, I, you know, but at the same time, you you need to kind of realize that it's a certain skill set that some people. It's a you're you're literally a catalyst to someone opening up to new possibilities in themselves, and anyone can do that. Like a 12 year old could learn how to do that and just be a great life coach for like you know 50 year old men. Like <laughs> you would not relate as much to some of their experiences, but anyway, there's a skill set behind coaching. And so, how would you describe your style of coaching? Well, I draw a lot upon my background as an educator, like when you teach in a classroom with um, traditional college students for that many years, you learn how to get people's attention. Um, And it's a lot easier to get willing adults who pay for a class that isn't their job and, you know, that they just really want to do because they're interested in it. That's really easy to get their attention. But when you think about college students, like they have a thousand other things they'd rather be doing. They have cell phones, you know, fraternities, sororities, all kinds of stuff. And so to be able to get their attention, you have to be a really, really good teacher and clear and make all of the objectives of a course plain, as well as the concepts. And so I took all of that into then teaching really enthusiastic adults who like want to do this on a Saturday or they, they want to spend their evening um, taking a class with me. And I'm able to hold their attention with um, my passion for the material, my knowledge of the material, and what I'm able to uh, get them to realize about themselves, which is that their idea um, is is going to be great. It's going to be great if they execute different tasks that will make it come out. So, I, you know, I have a, a, a particular process that I take them through. I ask a lot of questions that generate thoughts that they ordinarily wouldn't have without those questions. Um, and I, I think the biggest factor is that my passion for the material um, 
comes through in every single thing that I do. Right. And it, like I can't make it stop. It's, it just like naturally comes out. You love out. it, yeah. And that draws people in like a magnet. So who are these people who are just deciding to start writing a book? The, the demographics have been very, very interesting. I have people uh, who are in their 20s, and then I have people who are in their 60s and 70s. And I, I used to have a gentleman um, who was in his 90s before he passed away, and he would come to my events. So the age group is really, uh, there's a broad range. Um, backgrounds, there's a broad range. You have people who are, um, they've always been affluent, you know, a nice, cushy life income, all of that. And then you've got people who are, um, people who have come to my groups and they, um, struggle economically, but yet they come. And so it's really hard to find, um, a niche in terms of the demographics, but, uh, they all have something that they've personally been through that they want to, uh, either turn into fiction or a memoir. It usually comes from a personal life experience that they are utterly convinced will turn into a really great story. They think they have something to share and they need your help kind of bringing it out of themselves. That is correct. And so what is your take on it in terms of, I feel like I'm getting from you that you like fiction a lot and, uh, and memoirs are a little bit dry for you, but I think, I mean, that was, we had that at the beginning. It was, anyway, is that truth? Like when someone comes to you and say, hey, I want to write, but what do they say though? Is it like this experience is crazy in my life should is my, am I, should I write a memoir and have that be one of the you know one of the uh, main conflicts or, or the climax or should I write a whole different kind of fiction about it? So like what's how do you guide someone into under one or the other? This is a really great question and I talk about this a lot um, on Instagram and with my writers when they come to me. So some people are really clear on, they want to write a memoir, they want to share their story, they want to tell the absolute truth, and they want to hold space as themselves, you know, and, and the character. They want to be the author and the main character. And they are convinced that this is going to be the right path. And so if, if that's the case, then, you know, I help them write a memoir. Um, other people have something interesting that they've been through, but they don't want to have their identity attached to the character. So they don't want readers all in their personal business. They would rather develop a character that resembles them somewhat, but has like a different name, different mm. different everything, more or less, and but yet has a similar experience that the author's been through. And then that frees the author up to make creative choices, to design the story how they want, drawing from real life, but still having some fictional elements and then they can just detach from that identity. Whereas mm. the memoir writers, like, they want to show up and say, this is my story, this is who I am. So that's really the main difference. Yeah, that's very interesting. So basically the the, the fiction is more fun, and I totally agree. And then... <laughs> Sometimes. Really, I mean, it's just more possibilities. You know, you're creating, literally. Whereas one, you are creating a, a sort of dialogue and a, and a style, but, you know, you have more constraints. Let's just be real. So... I guess it comes from the person, maybe how serious they are, right? Do they want to like seriously share a life experience that, that helped them and they want to help the world and be like more serious? Not that fiction can't help the world, but like, or are they saying, um, you know, I, I, I have this event in my life, but I'm not, I don't, is, I think it, is it an ego thing? Like, or not? <laughs> some people are just like, 
I want to share my life because I think it's awesome and it's worth people should listen to this someday. And then there's the other side that's like, oh, I had a cool, I had some cool experiences and I wouldn't mind having fun kind of creating a whole world out of this. Uh, I think it is an ego thing. And I think and I, I, I do a lot of yoga and, and, and you could say I, I try and serve and be, and be as humble as I can. But I, I think it is a little bit of an ego thing if you write a memoir. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about that. I mean, Not ego in a bad way. I'm saying, I'm saying, uh, desire to truly make like a concrete difference in a way, versus fiction. Like no one can, I mean, you can't deny fiction makes a difference because it's pleasure, it's it's cathartic, uh, it's great reading material. The kids need fiction. Everyone needs some fiction. Um, but I think there's a, it's a difference, right? I mean. In terms of like what memoirs can do to, to change people's lives versus what fiction can do. I'm gonna I'm gonna vehemently disagree <laughs> with with that. Um, I think that the relationship of a story, the relationship between a, a story that you read and the truth of what's happened in this world, I think that's incidental to the power of something. The power of a story really comes from how it's put together and how it's written. So, um, a work of fiction, let's say something more in the realm of realism, even though we know picking up a novel that these people don't exist, there's a philosophical truth that can be communicated, I think. And then the same thing can happen with a memoir where we know this author is telling his or her own story. If it's been constructed properly, and there's a very clear philosophical truth, then I think both of these genres have um, the same ability to make a difference and to show up for readers. Mm. We just talked about how J.K. Rowling changed the world with her fiction, right. and I completely forgot about that. Okay, I'm an idiot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fiction. Okay, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, um, I guess there's no like right or wrong answer to like why which one is better. There's no better. It's really yeah. what is someone feeling. Um, are they feeling super creative? Are they feeling super reflective? Um, and so, do you think there's room for more of America, more people in the world to start writing? Is there any reason more of us shouldn't write? I think journaling is one thing, but do you think, like, where do you see potential to kind of encourage more of that? Well, I want to go back to something you said at the beginning. You were pointing out that um, Amazon and print on demand and, and ebooks and things like that, it makes it um, a lot easier nowadays for people to publish their books, whereas uh, in, in decades and generations past, you essentially had to you know, wait on a publisher to discover you or to pick up your manuscript out of the slush pile and decide that it was worthy. Um, actually, I take that back. There are, there are historical examples of self-published authors who are now um, revered. So Walt Whitman was not mm. traditionally published. He was, he was a self-published poet. Um, Anyway, uh, but to answer your, your question that you're talking about now, like, should more people be doing this? I think that there's a lot of talent that is going to waste because people don't have easy access to the resources that will help them write their books. And that's why I started my companies, because I wanted to make the access, I wanted to enable access at different price points and not be in a university space. Now, that said, I think there are a lot of people who... Um, start slapping some things down on paper and they don't go through the full process to hone their craft and find their voice and 
they're just they're just slapping things on Amazon mm. and saying, "Oh, I wrote a book." There's definitely um, there's a saturation as far as that is concerned. So I think yes, anybody if they want to write a book should write a book, but they need to go through the proper steps and they really need to learn their craft, and they really need the support of other writers as well as a mentor mm. of of some sort of you know like a, a teacher or a coach. Um, something like what I do, or you know, at least enroll in a class somewhere where you have access to educational materials. I think you're so right. I mean, all great things were not built alone. You know, you you, you need people, you need feedback, you need a sounding board. Um, whether that be, you know, for me, I use my family a lot. We Facetime all the time, so you know, I'm always talk, talking about the podcast, different ideas, whatever. Uh, I have a great family support system that kind of coaches me through, you could say. But at the same time, you know, you really need. You know, it's the same thing in like Silicon Valley, the startup world, like like investors, they want there to be co-founders. Like they'll be like, here, you go find a co-founder. Here's like a 10% stake. You go find someone like it's really important to have feedback on what you're, what's going on um, to, to kind of just bring out the best in people. So I mean, have you ever considered doing like, I mean, do you ever do like initial intake sessions with people who are like, you know, actually I have some more time in my life. Something happened in an event. I retired recently. Um, I'm interested in, in writing. Uh, I just heard about this opportunity with Julie. Like, do you have intake sessions where you kind of like open up that idea in someone? Um, well, anybody who reaches out on my website or uh, on Instagram or something like that, I always offer a, you know just a free discovery session where you know we spend about 15 to 20 minutes going over their goals, their ideas, and I can usually spot pretty quickly um, what the potential of a project is and I can spot someone's work ethic and what they're capable of and it is I don't even care what their skill set is when they come to me what I want to see is that the concept has potential and they have the work ethic and when I see those two things in combination as well as some natural talent and um, creativity and things like that then it's a really good um, I get really excited and and I love offering the possibilities from there when when I see someone who's a good a good fit. Okay. You say different price points. Would you ever have like a team of people depending on the price point or like how come more like what, what if some people are like, oh, I'm not sure if I can afford it. Like some people might have ridiculous ideas about how much it costs, but like how flexible is that? Uh, how much coaching is involved? Um, so I, I help people in several ways. So I, my top tier, like the, the biggest investment would be the one-on-one coaching where I'm really, you know, diving into the manuscript with a writer and you know we're working together for a long time and we meet weekly and it's really a high touch experience. I also have um, a group coaching program which is a lower price point Uh, but it's a you know a really rewarding experience because you get the community around you you like you're in a group and uh, you get you get access to my classes and then I have a self-study course and so that that would be you know mm. the, the starting point because um, it's a low investment you get all of my materials and you get familiar with my style my curriculum and then from there if you want to invest in either the group coaching or the one-on-one then you've already been trained right that's great yeah they did the homework they did the pre pre-reading for the semester exactly that's awesome so so there's a lot of options for people and how, how much time investment is it? So to write a good book, to get really get in the flow, how much time per day, per week is, is ideal <laughs> or even necessary? 
Well, ideal, you know, you could somebody could do this pretty much full time. Right. You know, just they, go get lost in it, and that's the best writers probably do that, right? They spend hours just stuck. Well, um, there were some really good writers who used the time that they had to write a manuscript, like twenty minutes a day, if that's all they had, or if all they had was um, Saturday or Sunday, and they have their other family and work obligations during the week. That I, th I think if people let's go back and not even say the word ideal. There is no, there is no ideal. Everybody wants to be able to do this full time, but the reality is we don't have full time in most cases. So you have to have a practice that is really consistent. And I like to suggest that people start with 20 minutes a day, or maybe they want to do it three days a week, whatever their workout schedule is. I asked, I, I asked my writers to treat it like that, treat it like your workout schedule where you know that you need to be moving your mm. body on a daily basis. It doesn't have to be a marathon every day, but you need to be moving your body. So same thing with the writing. You need to be putting pen to paper more or less on yeah. a daily basis or three days a week or maybe four days a week, whatever you can be consistent with. Have you found any correlation between runners and writers? You know, um, I'm connected to a couple of runner writers on Instagram. And I think that um, I think that running offers athletes the opportunity to think while they're doing their activity, which is something you can't really do when you're playing basketball or soccer or something like that, because your head has to be in the game. Yeah. But if you're running, you can meditate, you can get ideas, and I think there's a <laughs> pun intended. There's a running joke among running writers that every time we go out to do our run, you know, the ideas come and you're like, well, how am I going to write these ideas while I'm, you know. I've written, I've written on my phone. Oh, I write like, on my phone. Run, I'm, if it's good enough idea, I'm writing that down while I'm running. Oh <laughs> yeah, I've done that. <laughs> I think, I think it's, uh, I love running for that. I mean, it's funny that the, the best runners, ultra runners, they kind of reach their peak later in life than other sports. It's like 30, 40, because it's like a mental toughness thing. Yeah. And I think the endurance aspect of running and the endurance aspect of writing it's very similar. So I think there's a big correlation between the two. That's a good point. Um, and I think you should go recruit at Run Club. So I'm part of a couple. There's a Thursday Run Club. There's a Run Attic app where one of the founders was on, on the podcast. And then I do a Sunday morning run um, around the beach with this app as well called Run Attic. Um, but I think, I think it, building willpower and endurance power, it's mental. And so it, it even carries over to writing. Um, but with that being said, this is a Miami podcast. So... How can we get more people in Miami reading in the morning at the beach? Because I love to do that. I love this place because I can go and bike over there in the morning and read, and it's quiet. It's a big beach. Like you can find a quiet spot. It's really a treat, um, and I would just love to see more people reading. Because the more and more I look around, I just see people on their phone, Instagram. Like It's become a thing of bringing your phone to the beach, and I love twice a week, go in the morning, leave my phone here. I bring just my house keys. And I literally feel so free and healed when I come back. But what's it going to take? How are we going to get more people in Miami reading? Well, um, I think plenty of people are you know, reading in Miami. But I, I think when people go to the beach, they want to have the beach experience. And maybe they don't want to have their nose in a book where they have to put in a lot of mental energy. I like to read at the beach sometimes, but I do find myself getting tired. Um, whereas when I read at home, I can just go through the pages a lot quicker and with more success. Um, now, 
to get more people reading on the beach, I do know someone who has a beach reading meetup, but mm-hmm. it's not in the mornings. Uh, but we meet on, so I'm a part of it, and we meet on Sundays typically. And uh, everybody just brings a book and you read. And then we all chit chat about what we're reading. So that's. Well, that. actually, I have a cool idea. It's uh, with the with the podcast, or sometimes like I like making funny stories, interviews. Sometimes I'm just gonna start doing more of it. But sometimes one of my excuses to talk to people is like, "Oh, we're doing a survey of like the best books being read on Miami Beach. Uh, what are you reading?" <laughs> and then find out what people are reading, and then I make like, a list, and then I have like a, um, the people who are all reading the same book, they all get a prize. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever's the most popular book on the beach, let's find out what it is this week, this month. Um, I don't know. See, I'm always trying to make prizes for things. I don't think that's really going to make a difference for it. But I think people hearing about um, how passionate someone is about writing, I think more ideas for books or, or just people. Um, for example, I, I'm always looking for new books, uh, especially fiction. So um, based on what you've heard from me, can you suggest maybe like three random fiction books? Three random fiction books. Based on what I know of you. I know. This is, gonna, this is really... <laughs> I think you should email me later or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to need to reflect on this. Sleep on this one, yeah. <laughs> I'll assume that. Do you have like a, a reading pose? Because I, I have my pose that I'm comfortable in at the beach. And then I have on my bed before I go to sleep. I have like... I, I, I'm a side sleeper. So I, I, I've become someone who like... I read on one side. Like sleeping on my side. Like my... You know, and then I go to sleep on the other side. And, and it's like on my right brain side. So like my right brain gets all the... All the all the blood flow. It's very designed. <laughs> Do you have a reading pose, like a special perch? A pose. A perch, um, a chair. Like I think that's key too. You know, I um, I had to change because my eyes are getting bad. I had to invest in reading glasses, and um, I had to stop doing it in my room because the lighting is not configured to really support me with this so so now I, I read at a desk with glasses on because it's it's better for my for my eyes but I used to have a pretty good pose where I would recline and be all curled up but I can't do it anymore <laughs> have you uh when's the last time you read a whole book in a day have you done that well I started reading a book um a couple of days ago and had I not had some other obligations and things I probably would have been able to read that one in a day um I think it's it's been a couple of weeks. I, re- I read one pretty quickly a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember the title, yeah. but I, I read pretty fast. It takes time. It's been a while for me since I've ever done that. Uh, I always love when I can get stuck, though. Uh, one book that's a, kind of like a dense read, but it's it was kind of life-changing for me in terms of meditation, and it's uh, called The Inner Game of Tennis. And I just saw this recently. I saw it somewhere. But if anyone wants to, any self-improvement junkies out there, because I've, <laughs> I've, written, I've written around that whole genre way too much, um, now I tend to read, oh, it's, it's a mix of things, mostly nonfiction right now. I do want to plop in some fiction in, into my reading schedule. Um, I'm just too serious of a guy, you know? <laughs> There's serious fiction. Wait, like, where is this idea that fiction isn't serious? Uh, I mean, yeah, I really want to like... learn, I think, I think my value, I'd love, I'm just, okay, I don't think you're not curious if you read fiction, but like. I love this world so much that I want to read all about it. I want to read the real stuff that's going on, you know? I don't want to waste time. So, like, for example, right now I'm reading this book called No Filter, Instagram, about the founding of Instagram, and it's really making me more appreciative of, like, like the Instagram versus Facebook, and it's, like, what Instagram was, why it is the way it is. Like, the little Polaroid thing, the guy, Sistrom, who started it, he literally would go to Italy, and in his course, he had a constraint that they had to use that old camera that was yeah. a square picture. 
and like all these little things that now I appreciate about Instagram where unfortunately or fortunately I spend more time than I not that's not I, I've embraced the awesome people who are on Instagram you know like the all the local voices and so I spend time on there sometimes and it is where our world's eye is so we it's good to learn about the history of it and and why it is the way it is um, but basically I, I read a lot of different things but usually it is I am a self-improvement junkie you could say in, in my past and then um, but I think it's for me it's just the nighttime reading is what I most value now um, but I vacations also where you kind of get lost um, but I think I never read on vacation well, if it's a beach vacation, oh, you're right. Either you're really traveling, you're experiencing everything about the culture. You know what? You're right. Especially living in Miami, like I read at the beach, I read before bed. When I travel, I go, I'm like in a whole other world, like mentally, because I'm so routine that I'm like, my brain's just like firing on all cylinders, like I'm on LSD or something. Um, <laughs> like I literally like, I don't know, it's it's too much about me. But anyway, Miami. I heard you like to dance salsa. Um, what is some of your favorite, um, activities, people around the area? Well, I mean, as I, as I was when I was a kid, I'm, I'm definitely very, um, committed to the arts and, um, I would like to see, you know, theaters and live performances come back and, you know, have a nice resurgence here in Miami. Cause I think we have, um, a really interesting, geography for live performances and I think we have a lot of creative people here and so I'm, I'm very I'm very enthusiastic about the future of, of um, the performing arts here uh, of course I love the salsa scene it's a really vibrant community um, I'd like to you know I've noticed the salsa community kind of going a little north and I'd like them yes. to stay you know more on the beach and and in Miami proper. We'll talk to Mike Calderon. He, he's throwing a, he has a Monday, a Blue Paris night, and he was always we used to do a um, on Espanola Way. That was Friday night, which yep. I loved. That you could just walk after dinner, yep. dance a little bit. Um, it was Pacheco, and they're gonna bring it back soon, I think. But I think yeah. yeah, there's some few core people out here at the beach, and two of them have already been on the podcast: Mike Calderon and then uh, Ricky Torres. Um, great people. Um, but there's people who like to dance here and, and, and live that happy lifestyle. Fran, uh, she's great. She's she loves dancing. She has so much passion for it. Um, I think dancing, reading, these are all things that just are part of a healthy, awesome lifestyle. And um, it's great to have people like you promoting it. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you. I think there's a whole lot of um, authors out there that you know probably would never be authors if not having a guide like you. So. I hope uh, I hope you teach you. I mean, it sounds like you do have a process that you can kind of clone yourself eventually and have underlings. You know, I think it's a good thing <laughs> to have like a Julie process that you scale because I think you can only do so much as one person, right? You only have right. so much time. But the more the more you develop the, the network, um, I think you know you can have people under you who do the same. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do, right? I want to start local voices around every city in the U.S. by 2025. And that means I'm developing a structure for the podcast and the community and the events that scales to every city. Right. So I can only do so much if I think it's all about me and, and being a great pocket. No, it's not about me. It's about the structure. So I think I challenge you to do the same and, and envision yourself cloning yourself. <laughs> I mean, I kind of did it in my course. It's, you know, your course is like that. But got I got thousands of students. Yeah. But like, I'm excited for when you find your next, like, like, you know, underling, you know, because like I'm excited to find an underling. <laughs> an underling. Well, for me, it would be the first person who 
I entrust to run local voices in a different right. different city, and that's going to be so fun for me to be able to coach them through it. And and I think you're going to reach that point soon, because like there's no shortage of people who have free time to write and and become authors. So I think that's in your future. I'd love to see it. I love. To, I'm excited to see you around the beach here. Um, I know you're a regular at one of the cafes, right, on Lincoln Road. Um, I did go to books. And, yeah, bookshop. I go to books and books. Um, the bookshop there has closed. But the uh, restaurant that is with Books and Books, they're still open. So I go there a lot and write yeah. on Lincoln Road. Yeah. Sweet. Awesome. All right. Well, I can't wait to see you around. And thank you for enjoying the chili. Yeah. You were the fastest person. You, you, you win the, <laughs> the, the award for fastest eater. This which girl is can a, eat. This is a huge compliment to me because I had a lot of people just like, I get, it's a big bowl, you know, but like some people secretly are heading to a, a second dinner afterwards or something. <laughs> But this one was late enough, so I, I knew this was it. This was the real dinner. So. Ladies and gentlemen, I ate all of my chili. And I didn't and make it too delicious. hot, right? You didn't cry or anything. No. It was actually perfectly seasoned. Like, <laughs> like I got it right. I even bought the special, like, cayenne spoon, like a special spoon just for the cayenne. But I, I didn't even use it that time. I just, like, I, I finally got it right. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Awesome, Julie. Thanks for joining.